Good morning, friends. Today we're continuing our series on the book of James. We're in the eighth part. Today I want to deal with James chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. And I've titled this, Work the Word, and the Word Will Work You. Now when people ask me, what's your favorite Bible reading plan? I always answer, it's the one that works for you. Any plan that gets you reading the Bible is good for your soul, and any plan you use is better than the plan you don't use. Now, a couple of years ago, I decided to kind of jumpstart my personal Bible reading by doing some Bible listening using the audio on BibleGateway.com. Now, I don't do Bible listening every day, but when I do, I find it helpful for hearing the Bible in a fresh way. Well, with that little bit as a background, I want to talk to you about four steps to better Bible listening. Everything I'm going to say includes traditional Bible reading, but in this passage, James is talking about listening to God's Word. And they didn't have printed Bibles in the first century. When James says, be doers of the Word and not hearers only, he means both parts of that statement literally. You heard the Word of God when someone read it on Sunday morning. Now, James laid out four steps we need to take in order to hear what God is saying to us in the Bible. And each step leads us to a question that we need to ask every time we read the Bible or listen as someone reads it to us. Here's step number one. Remove the filth. Verse 21 says, Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil. The journey to understanding the Bible starts on the inside. You aren't really ready to hear God's word until you have done some divine heart surgery. Now, suppose you've been working on your sewer lines all day. I know that's what all of you do every day, you know, trying to get rid of a clog. I mean, that's hot, messy, dirty work. And no matter how careful you are, you're bound to get some stinky stuff on your clothes. Now, it happens that you've been invited to attend a fancy dinner party that evening. You know you must leave at 5.30 to be there on time. So what do you do? You finish work at 4, go inside, take off your dirty clothes, take a shower, and then you put on clean clothes. But what would happen if you showed up at the dinner party wearing your filthy work clothes? Among other things, you would be turned away at the door. If you don't change clothes, you show disrespect to the host and hostess of the dinner party. It's a parable of the Christian life. We need to rid ourselves of moral filth and evil. No doubt James intends us to think of the dangers of an uncontrolled tongue and a bad temper he warned us about in verses 19 and 20 of this chapter. It extends to include all sorts of moral and spiritual corruption. The word filthiness comes from a Greek word that referred to wax in the ears. In verse 19, James has already told his readers that they must be quick to hear what God is saying. But sin is like wax in the ears that shuts out the word of God. Wax like that can make a man deaf. In the same way, sin makes us deaf to God. We all wonder how people can go to church for years, go through the motions, sing the songs, pray the prayers put money in the plate, listen to a sermon, and then leave completely unchanged. I mean, they come in angry, they leave angry. They come in filled with lust, they leave filled with lust. They come in with a chip on their shoulder, and the chip is still there when they leave. Friends, if we're going to change, we must actively get rid of the moral filth that has become like spiritual earwax. That means we must repent daily. And that word repent literally means to change the mind. It has to do with the way you think about something. You've been thinking one way, but now you think differently. That's repentance, the changing of the mind that leads to a change of the heart, that leads to a change of behavior. It's foundational to a growing Christian life. 
When Martin Luther posted his 95 theses to the door of uh, the church in 1517, he began with this crucial statement, quote, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ says, Repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. End of quote. In a sense, the entire Protestant Reformation hangs on those simple words. If you are a Christian, repentance ought to be part of your daily life. Repentance proves the obvious. God was right all along. There's no progress in the Christian life without daily repentance. We are to be always repenting because we are always sinning. And that leads us to a personal question. Am I ready to repent of my sin? And until the answer is yes, we are not ready for step two. Here's step two. Receive the word. Verse 21 goes on and says, Humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. Now, there is a reason we are to humbly receive God's word. I mean, true repentance strips us bare, leaves us with nothing good to claim. We stand before God naked, exposed, with all our secrets revealed, all hidden motives uncovered, all shameful deeds dragged out into the light, every casual thought and every foolish word brought before the Lord so that we can be forgiven, healed, and made whole. A proud man can't repent because he won't repent. His pride keeps him from admitting anything. But when we are finally stripped bare, then we are in the ideal position to receive God's word because we have a truly teachable spirit. We are to receive God's word the same way we receive an old friend who has made a long trip to see us. That means when we hear the word, we don't argue with it and we don't make excuses. We welcome it with open arms. Speak to me, O Lord. I am ready to hear your voice. Or Samuel, little Samuel one time said, Speak, O Lord, your servant hears. See, the word implanted pictures the seed planted in the ground. And God's word is like a seed that will grow up within us to produce good fruit. If you combine this truth with the previous one, it means when we pull up the weeds of sin, we make room so that God's word can grow up within us to produce the fruit of a life filled with the beauty of Jesus. When that happens, the implanted word is able to save us. It it delivers us from sin and guilt and shame and condemnation and the moral filth of the world around us. So here's the second question. Am I willing to receive God's word with an open heart? If the answer is yes, then we can move on to the next step. And step number three is this. Respond by doing. Verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, the real challenge for most of us is not in the doing, but in the deceiving. The worst lies are the ones you tell yourself. It's it's one thing to deceive other people. That's bad enough. But it's profoundly dangerous to lie to yourself. When John wrote his first epistle, he tackled this topic right out of the box. And three times in 1 John 1, the apostle repeats, If we say... He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness. If we say we have no sin. If we say we don't have any sin. You see, friends, every deception starts with the man in the mirror. If you lie to a friend, that's bad. But at least you know what you've done. If you lie to yourself, you're probably not even aware of it. It's no wonder the psalmist confessed, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these secret faults. That's Psalm 19, verse 12. See, only the Lord himself can deliver us because he alone sees the part hidden from our own view. 
Unless I am regularly contradicted by God's word, I am not engaging it. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says that God's word is like a sword, and swords cut. Good swords are razor sharp. Even the slight touch draws blood. That leads us to a third question. Am I willing to be rebuked by the Lord? You know something, friends? It's one thing to read the Bible. It's another thing to let the Bible read you. Well, here's step four. Remember the truth. Verses 23 to 25 read, Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. James begins with an illustration I think all of us men will certainly understand. I mean, most guys I know spend as little time as possible looking in the mirror. We shower, we shave, we comb our hair, we take a quick look, and we say, yeah, close enough, and off we go. If the Bible is a mirror that reveals our true condition, too many of us walk away thinking we're better than we really are. While it might be okay to say close enough when it comes to our appearance, it's deadly to say that about our spiritual life. The real danger here is forgetting. We read, love one another, but then we forget. We read, pray without ceasing, but then we forget. We read, rejoice always, but then we forget. We read, in all things give thanks, but then we forget. Friends, we must look intently into the truth of God. We must not forget what we have heard. And notice that the Bible is called the perfect law of freedom. That sounds very archaic to modern ears. We don't equate law with freedom. We think that the law restricts our freedom by telling us what not to do, and that's partly true. I mean, after all, eight of the Ten Commandments are in the negative. The law puts limits on our behavior. It tells us not to worship other gods or make idols or not to misuse God's name, not to murder or commit adultery or not to steal, to bear false witness, and not to covet. But those laws were given by God to protect us from our own sinful impulses. In a deep sense, we do not break the Ten Commandments. We are broken by them when we disobey. In all of life, there is always an easy way and a hard way. In the beginning, the easy way looks inviting because you can take shortcuts to get where you want to go. The hard way seems daunting because it demands so much discipline. But in the end, cutting corners and bending rules always costs more. The easy way turns out to be the hard way, and the hard way turns out to be the easy way. I mean, so it is with the Word of God. That leads us to the final question. Am I willing to obey even when it is not easy? When the answer is yes, we discover the freedom that becomes a blessing from the Lord. So, here are the four questions we ought to ask every time we read the Bible or listen as someone reads it to us. Am I willing to repent of my sin? Am I willing to receive the Word with an open heart? Am I willing to be rebuked by the Lord? Am I willing to obey even when it's not easy? Well, here's the good news. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew to understand the Bible. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to be changed by the Word of God. It doesn't require special knowledge reserved only for a few, but it does require a willing heart. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Until our hearts are made willing, we can read the Bible in the morning and listen all afternoon and still be unchanged in the evening. If we would be better people, 
we need better hearts. The last time I was returning back to Branson, driving out of Dallas-Fort Worth, I saw a big billboard that read, Christ is number one in open-heart surgeries. Well, indeed, Jesus is, indeed, number one in open-heart surgery. He's never lost a case yet. When you come to him by faith, he gives you a brand new heart. Some of us, friends, need to pray. Lord Jesus, you came to show us a better way. Help us to delight in what you have given us. Make us willing to be willing to hear what you are saying in your word. Because when we work the word, you work us. Until next time, friends, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.